0: I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. This episode of the podcast is a little bit more of a special edition. It's a studio episode, and it's geared towards producers, musicians, and anybody bored enough to listen. Uh, One bit of feedback that I get regularly from people is that they're a little annoyed that I don't dig in deeper when it comes to the studio chat uh and despite being a gearhead i have to say it's just something i don't have much interest in talking about that is until i'm actually trying to figure something out for myself um it's kind of like i'd much rather hear someone's drinking stories rather than listen to them go on about how they brew their beer um the other part is this show has a broad listener range and there are a lot of people who listen that don't make music so they can't really keep up with the conversation if it gets a little too nerdy. So while I do get into gear talk sometimes, I decided to make episodes solely dedicated to studio discussion. Since I've started the podcast, I've asked some of the guests to stay a bit longer and record a quick 5-10 to minute chat uh, about anything studio related. Some people describe their workflow while others describe their setup. Some offer tips and tricks while others offered up do's and don'ts. These talks aren't too technical, but hopefully it opens doors for some people. And uh, I think it's just important to, you know, keep the dialogue going. A lot of times in this industry, people get fed up with uh, various aspects like, uh, you know, there's too many promos or the demos are shitty or the records aren't good enough. And I think it's mainly because people are complaining and they're not really... Uh, you know teaming up with each other or sharing tips and tricks and uh, yeah I, I think that's kind of the only way forward because as the music industry kind of shrinks further and further and the money dries up at the end of the day the only thing that's going to be left is uh the other musicians so you got to stick together I guess it sounds a bit cheesy but it's true um, but let's keep going If you're interested in in more studio chat, uh, Jamie Liddell has a new podcast dedicated to studio heads. It's called Hanging with Audiophiles. Um, And if you don't know of Jamie, he's super talented, uh, really funny, and a perfect fit for podcasting. Um, I'm kind of surprised that it didn't happen earlier, to be honest. Um, If you're not aware of him, he got his started in the techno world a long time ago. A little bit more on the experimental edge, uh, yeah, probably 20 years ago already. He's done numerous records and albums for labels like Trezor or Warp, and he's worked alongside other techno guys like Christian Vogel, uh, just to name one. And uh, you know, I would say it was probably 10 years ago now he started to take a little bit of a change in direction, a little bit more pop oriented at first. Uh, his music was all over commercials and, and movies and stuff, and then uh, now he's kind of in this soul slash blues territory since he's living down in Memphis. But he still, you know, has a firm footing in electronic music and production. Um, so every episode, he's going to share tips and tricks of what he's up to in the studio, and he's also going to be interviewing, you know, prominent studio producers. It's it's not fully dedicated to electronic music, but you can learn shit from anybody. So it's worth checking out and maybe it will satisfy your cravings if I'm not around or anything. And it's also worth saying that he puts a hell of a lot more time in production into uh into his episode too. He's got even a theme song, which I, I still don't have. Um Alright, well shit, that's an intro. I have a lot of great guests on the show today. Um, they've all basically been on the show for the most part already, except for one of them, uh, Gary Beck. And uh, yeah, basically what you're going to want to do is grab a pencil because there's probably going to be a few things you might want to jot down, uh, maybe names of plugins or hardware or maybe something that you know gets you going and you're like, oh shit, I should try that out. So you're probably going to want that pencil handy. Uh And I have some tips and tricks of my own, and actually some kind of redundant but very useful information, but this intro's gone on long enough already, so I think I'm just going to interweave that in between the uh the interviews, so you don't get too bored of hearing me talk but before I kick off that first segment, um I just want to get this out of the way because you know I don't want to get lost in the in the podcast um But it's about a book, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's called Making Music, 74 Creative Strategies for Electronic Music Producers. Uh, It was published through Ableton, and it's written by a guy named Dennis DeSantis. Uh, It's been out for, I think, a few years now, maybe. And uh, when it came out, I loved it. I wrote Dennis, and I said, like, listen, this is everything I've tried to explain to people in the past, but you've managed to do it much more eloquently. Um the content is it's pretty conceptual uh it's not about you know how to to do certain things but how to approach it and it doesn't matter how experienced you are as a producer uh everyone can find something useful or identify with it and despite being published by Ableton it's a book that's actually for everybody Uh, In fact, I don't even think that Ableton is referenced even once in the book, but I could be wrong. Again, it's called Making Music, 74 Creative Strategies for Electronic Music Producers. And uh, if you're an idiot when it comes to the computer, just Google Ableton book and it'll pop right up. If you're a musician, or at least you think you are, or even someone close to you is, this is a perfect gift. Um, I can't recommend it enough. And I swear to God, that's not even, uh, nobody's paying for that. I just really believe in that book. All right, here's the first segment. In my next chat, uh, Kerry Lekebush joins me. Um, I mean, he's kind of a guy that taught a lot of people how to get shit done in the studio. He's kind of like the Swedish godfather, um, you know, helped create the the Swedish techno movement, and he's done everything from house to electro to hip-hop to you name it so he's a great guy to to really listen in on and take some tips and tricks from uh, in this segment we kind of go through a bit of everything you know there was no one real topic I guess the the main thing that I would take away from skipping through this like I did was that uh, it's about getting more hands-on and that means uh, you know kind of ditching the mouse uh, maybe that means picking up a hardware synth, or maybe it means using, uh, you know, like a really cheap MIDI controller or something. Uh, but you know, I'll let the I'll let the segment explain it for you. Uh, enjoy.
1: I think uh, I've always used the both of best worlds when we if we start, uh, you know, talking about gear. Obviously, a big thing is wh- what kind of gear are you going to use, and yeah. and I think in the long run, obviously, you want to be able to be creative and playful and you don't want to be clicking a mouse all the time. so obviously it's good to have a computer but yeah. it's, if you're really like okay I' gonna you know I want to invest some proper time in this you better get some outboard gear as well I'd say it's it's vital to really keep that in, inspiration going and and to be able to just to produce music on on you know in a more fun way and a more floating way. I think it's important. So you you get some maybe you know you have some digital and some analog combination, or you sure. can have digital outboard stuff or whatever, and, and just go totally digital. But I kind of like to to mix both worlds up, where I use analog and digital because uh, there's certain stuff that you can get from digital stuff that you can't get from analog, and the uh, you know other sure. way around.
0: I mean, uh, I'm definitely in the boat of uh, using both. Yeah, you know, I'm a gearhead, <laughs> but I also I love the convenience of just banging shit out in Ableton real quickly and calling it Yeah, place. yeah, exactly. Um, Sometimes
1: you're just like, no, I'm just going to put this, put me in this frame. I'm just going to use this program. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to use Propellerhead Reason or something totally. like that. And I'm going to stick to that and I want to make everything in that one and see how far I can take it.
0: I mean, so, you know, like, a lot of people when it comes to talking about gear and, and like, digital versus analog, they get so bent out of shape on the... <laughs> the sound quality part of it or oh, what yeah. sounds There's more so raw much and
1: misconceptions and about that oh, the my
0: thing goodness. is uh when i say people should definitely get gear even a midi controller i i don't even think about that part of it because that's just everybody's got their opinion but yeah. one thing you cannot deny is that the process of how you arrive at whatever you're making will be different yeah you know like put it this way uh, you have two hands that are on a piece of gear, whether it's a drum machine, a synthesizer, a, yeah. a reverb box. Yeah. That c- You can tweak multiple things at once, which is way different than a dude that's clicking one finger on a mouse. I mean, try being yeah, a guy yeah. that plays a piano with just one hand. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. can only do half the job. Yeah, that's a fact. And um, so, yeah, of course, the computer has benefits to doing things that gear can't do, but it is nice because, or even if you take a MIDI controller and you plug it into the laptop, make sure you you map out enough knobs so you start tweaking shit and you move knobs that you have no re- you have no business moving them. Just try it out. Yeah, experiment, exactly. Yeah, you know? yeah.
1: That that's a vital aspect of it too to always be able to experiment and to make bloopers and sort of they they make you you know you find new new ways of doing things.
0: Yeah. Um, is is there anything like? At the moment, right now, that you're really going on about, like, uh... well, I, I, um,
1: at the moment, i I've, I recorded like a project that I was, gonna, I was like a, for a few years, I've been like, oh, I want to do a project like this, and it's basically, it's, it's a bit different. It's, it's more like an electro project, and uh, where, where I feel I can be a bit more experimental when it comes to certain uh, aspects of the music so I, I you know i wanted to do something like that and where i try a lot of different uh, instruments so for example i i got um, from um, i got the the there's like a, a clone of the 606 that just got released i think okay. and that is a really Really nice sounding machine, and it's it's like the six oh six, but it's yeah, it's it's, it's totally analog, and mm-hmm. you can tune, uh, you can change the the sort of the the color of the sounds, uh, not yeah. like the six oh six where you can't really do
0: that. It's a little, and, little stiff,
1: yeah. And you know, I have a couple of few boxes like that, and and I also like to work with the Ira Gear. Uh, At the moment, the The Roland, the TR8, uh, because it just has all my favorite sounds in there.
0: (laughs) Do Do you find yourself having to process it a lot, or do you leave it raw? Oh, it
1: it needs a lot of processing. Yeah, because I I have it (laughs) a lot.
0: I like jamming on it, but it just seems a bit um, clean or oh, it's it's just
1: it's very basic, very preset. Yeah, and so a lot of processing I put, but I like doing all these processing, and, and I have outboard gear for that. And it's just that's the fun part of it to sort of mm-hmm. change the sound to really to uh, to obscure some of the sounds like uh, wow listen this is a nine oh nine hi hat but you can't hear it <laughs> so
0: I mean a lot of guys do have that Roland gear so you know being Kerry Lakebush and all that what if you were to say a lot of processing what are a couple things that you do that might you know that they should consider like mm.
1: I'd I'd say I mean even if you work only in in, in did In a digital, fully digital environment, you 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 know then you got to pull out a lot of plugins. You know if if you just keep your if you well you you could be you 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 can take a CD like a sample CD and put all those sounds from the sample CD into your Ableton and then Mm -hmm. you just loop those and they're already pretty good mixed. You know Mm -hmm. a lot of those sounds are nice quality and juicy Mm -hmm. and everything, but I think the outcome is very dull and very preset and you you can hear that on a lot of tracks that well this these are just samples you know mm-hmm. and w- whereas you where you start tweaking and processing the sounds you start you know realize you learn more about how stuff works and this is going to just help you to create a more unique sound and i think that, yeah i mean that's one of the things that is important for me anyways to to have your unique sound and so processing you learn so much when you process a lot and when you make your own sounds because a lot of the sounds you create from scratch they're not gonna be like if you create a kick drum from scratch, it's not gonna be sounding as punchy as that sample kick drum that you've heard. Yeah. But in and if you use that sample kick drum, you're never gonna learn how really to do your own kick drum sounding true. like that punchy. And I it's just that knowledge alone is gonna make you a better producer. It's gonna make you even a better mm-hmm. DJ. And maybe even a better person. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you not so sure about it.
0: No, it's totally true though. I mean, like, you know, it's uh it, I, I did it for years everybody does it like you just f- scroll through a synth find a preset and just fuck with it until it sounds cool or something we've yeah. all done it still yeah. do it whatever and it's almost kind of like when you're you're playing like a fighting game on the playstation or something you don't really know you just bash the fucking <laughs> buttons until yeah. you start to realize like yeah. all right i should figure out what it is i'm doing yeah and uh <laughs> you know it's important because like a lot of people they do they don't know what the lfo knob does mm, so yeah. it's like Instead of trying to make a track one day, just sit there and just pay attention to the knobs. Like, oh, if I move this knob, it affects it in that way. Yeah, You know, like you and I, we've been doing it for so long now that we can visualize this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, square wave with the pulse width or whatever. We know if you don't, you can't even visualize that if you're new to it, which mm. is fine. Yeah. But that means you got to listen to it a lot more and, and and learn that. So if you hear this dope-ass carry record and you're know, like, I love that sound. You might know how to actually not copy that sound, but make something similar yeah. if you have this experience under your belt. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah. I I think that's uh, that's something I, I talk to about with you know producers that talk to me and like mm, they want to have some tips and stuff. And I just say, you know, delve into those equipment. If there's a knob, you turn it. it and if mm-hmm. it doesn't do anything, try to turn some other knobs and then you turn that knob, it might do something. You know, you, yeah. if there is a knob, you fucking, you pull it, you tweak it, you turn it. And that's how you learn, like, and you're really going to learn properly. If you, if sure. you, I mean, self-learn, so to speak. You do all the mistakes, basically, that you can do. Totally. And it's like a bit like martial arts, you know. you The first thing you, you got to be good at is how to fall. Mm-hmm. how are you falling you know so because you will fall if you're a yeah. beginner you will fall all the time so you best thing is to, to learn how to fall good so when you fall you're not going to hurt yourself
0: you yeah know? it's true mm-hmm. you know and i i guess what what that comes down to oh dude it's joel <laughs> yeah ah. yeah
1: let's let's talk to let's bring joel in here <laughs> uh, they won't bring on a thing but that'd be good <laughs>
0: yeah um we're going to wrap this up in a minute anyway. But I guess what I was yeah. going to say just to wrap up our is uh, it's all about the basis. So most synths, like an analog synth, is going to have roughly the same layout. The cutoff, the LFO, whatever. Yeah. FM is a totally different world of crazy shit. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> So if you can learn a couple basic things... You could take that on in the next one. It's like language. You yeah, know what definite. I mean? Like, it's like a language. Yeah. You learn the basics and you can kind of find your way around it, yeah, whatever. You, you
1: learn one synthesizer. you same, Right away, you know most synthesizers. Same with your smartphone.
0: doesn't matter if you're on an Android or an iPhone yeah, or yeah. whatever. You know there's going to be a settings button. There's going to be an email or a exactly. calendar button. Like, because yeah. you're familiar that there is something in place. So. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right, man. Uh, let's go get some food.
1: Oh, it sounds good. Bon tea.
0: If you're into big room techno, you're gonna know Gary Beck. Uh, He's my next guest for this segment, and uh, I actually didn't get a chance to get him on the actual show yet, but that'll definitely happen. Um, Anyway, I I got a hold of him on FaceTime, and uh, I wanted to know what made him tick. You know, how how does he build up that tension to get that big room sound that a lot of people try to go for in their music not necessarily copying him but you know how do you get the hands in the air and all that shit all right i'm sitting here with gary beck how's it going gary
2: i'm good man how's yourself
0: yeah not too bad i'm glad that uh we get you on finally in some some context here
2: <laughs> yeah i've been listening to to a lot of the episodes man it's really thank really you. good thank good you tune, you know
0: <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i gotta say pretty much mo- you know most techno people have uh not only heard of you but playing your record so I I really wanted to get you on the show because you kind of have a a knack for really going for the big room thing without you know kind of relying on cheap tricks or anything like that and uh, yeah so I'm really curious about your process and what it takes to get those kind of results
2: yeah it's just over the years Dustin it's just a a case of trying and testing different different things along the way. Um, I've really just got the same kind of equipment that I've been using for the last, like, I don't know, 12, 13 years or something like that. So I've developed so many kick drums and stuff like that over the years. Um, each kick drum, I always try and get something that's got a bit of meaning about it, just something that is going to be quite powerful that I can build on. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of, Start with the usual, the usual kick, and then just start layering on, and and just just go from there. Um, a little bit. I like to kind of describe it like a like building a ship. If you like, you start with the hull and the deep part, and then you can move it on upwards towards the sails. The sails are the final little splashes you put on the track. So, yeah, I mean, it's just I've been lucky over the years. I've managed to find a sound that 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 works for me, and it's amazing to. See so many other people actually playing the music as well, which is it's always a nice feeling you know,
0: yeah definitely, and you when you know you you say you've been kind of using the uh the same sort of equipment for what would you say twelve or fifteen years
2: yeah, I mean you yeah. gotta keep
0: it fresh, so do you like uh is it are you just kind of recording parts in yourself and uh and changing yeah it, more or?
2: more more or less yeah, I mean you know, my, my, my setup consists of, uh, I've got quite a lot of hardware kicking about, and it's all just really going into, uh, it's actually a pretty old Behringer mixing desk I've got. Um, it's, it's not the best. But hey, I've just I'm got on the a Behringer right now
0: for the interview. I mean, uh, whatever works, works, you
2: know what I mean? It's, it's whatever works, man. I mean, I, I see so many producers talking about the gear and the stuff and, and their, uh, the software and, and I do get a little bit lost with it sometimes I have something that I've just been so used to using um that I, I, yeah okay I, I, you know I, I should probably educate myself a little bit more with the, the latest software and stuff and I do keep intending to do that but then I just sit down and I write a, another track that, that that does quite well and I just forget to to do the research I guess um, I mean, so yeah it's just the way I've been working and, and I'm comfortable with it
0: I I think what it comes down to is uh you know really getting to know your uh your gear I mean like the mm. when you talk to somebody that are kind of known for making really badass tracks or something like that there's a few pieces mm. that they know inside and out yeah and yeah, yeah. uh I think in that regard it doesn't make sense to uh Mm-hmm. Why change the process if it's working? Of course, you know incorporating yeah. new tools gives inspiration, but I think that's what yeah, a lot yeah. of people forget about is they always want to get new plugins and sample banks and exactly.
2: Shit. You know, you know, Dustin. There's been there's been some really amazing producers that that, that I used to love throughout the, the the late '90s and and early 2000s, and they had this really unique sound. And I don't know what's happened along the way, but I feel as though they've maybe gone chasing the the, the next uh, sort of software and, and along the way I find that some of the, the I don't know the sound seems to have gone a little bit yeah the, pr- yeah, the, the process changes cl- yeah polished and cleaner it's, the process changes but that great sound of the, of of the producer seems to have seems to have vanished and it's a shame but you know it's, it's you know you've always got to look forward I guess but as you said, if you have something that's working really well for you, um, sometimes maybe it's unnecessary changes.
0: Definitely, I mean, yeah. you know, I've I've definitely overcooked a few tracks just because I felt like I needed to step it up and uh, you know yeah. match some of the techniques that maybe are I don't yeah, want to say because yeah, yeah. nothing's new, but let's say common or trendy at the moment or something. So,
2: absolutely, yeah, you know, a, a great example of um my education in, in making music. I, I never studied anything, I never went to any like um, colleges or university or anything. But there was one guy I met about ten years ago by the name of Tony Scott, Edit Select. Yeah. And um he we got together and we you know we we just started talking about music but he really taught me some invaluable lessons about making a track and, and simplifying a track. Um he would come into my studio and I would have like one one track would have about I don't know 25 channels going on it was, it was just too much and he would come in and he would say right Gary do you need that noise I'd say no do you need that do you need that and it would cut it down and it would you would end up with like four tracks running you know just to kick the bass maybe a little hi-hat on a synth or something but if you can work that properly with maybe some volume and stuff then, then you don't need to add too much more and honestly it was great um, it was some great information that he gave me at the time I must admit
0: <laughs> yeah no I mean I, I agree completely I, I kind of learned the the same advice but kind of more from I guess when the minimal era kind of yeah. uh, took over yeah. things because yeah, yeah. all of a sudden every, everybody was like muting half the tracks and then it, you know all the sounds that do pop out, it makes sense. Cutting back on on the sounds is is essential, and using only the ones that matter. Like if it doesn't really serve a purpose, yeah. then get rid of
2: it. Yeah, if it doesn't serve a purpose. I mean, if I actually go back and listen to, I mean, I'm sure the same applies to self. If you go back and listen to some of the tracks you first uh, started producing, it's like a a jumbled, overcomplicated mess. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't even I don't even know where to start with some of those you
2: know (laughs) (laughs) you could probably take like take it all apart and make three separate tracks just from all the parts you know it's like keep it simple and just don't don't add in those those parts that don't need to be there you know
0: totally do you ever uh, have it where you kind of go back through old tracks like the files on the computer and because you're like man maybe i should Take take a hint from that last track that I did that did well or whatever, and you just see what kind of mindset you were in, and you either a you realize yeah. how simple it was, or b you're like, what the fuck was I thinking?
2: Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I do. Yeah, yeah, I think that a lot actually. But <laughs> I, do, I do, I do go back. You know, I do go back and have a look and see. Strangely enough, I always find that the tracks that seem to have worked the best for me, I can't quite recall making them. It's just like a, a, a something that happens so quickly, and and you're just so there in the moment that I, I can't always remember making those tracks. You know, it's it's, totally. it's the ones that I'm sitting there, like um, five, six, seven hours later, still trying to find certain parts. They're the ones that tend to tend to fail or just go back into the folder or something like that. But exactly, um, it's it's strange the way it works. But but yeah, I do find myself going back. And, and have a look and try and try and recapture uh, what was what was I doing there? You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's there's a benefit to it for sure. You know, if you if you can. Yeah. Cause I, I think
2: that, yeah. There you go? Sorry.
0: Oh, I was just gonna say. I think it's. I I have a I have trouble. Like if I kind of learn a new trick, I forget it by the by two tracks later or something. I really need to start <laughs> writing things down.
2: Yeah, yeah, that would help a little bit. But what one 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 of the common mistakes that I find I, I've been guilty of it myself sometimes. If you have written some tracks in the past that, that that were quite successful or something like that, and then you find yourself sitting there trying to make some good music and nothing is quite coming, I feel the worst thing you can do is go back to those tracks and actually use some of the same sounds and samples or whatever that you recorded, and then try and bring it into the the new track you're trying to make I find that that just doesn't seem to work oh really Um, yeah yeah I found that before it's like okay I'm struggling now maybe if I can go and take an element from one of my older tracks and bring it in I find it just tends to you can't recapture it I find you know Um, so I've stopped doing that
0: (laughs) interesting because that that's something uh, that's something that I actually do quite often but yeah I guess I never really uh took a look at you know how how much of a hit rate I have on that or if it's just kind of flops
2: yeah 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 I think maybe because I was doing it I was doing it quite a lot and then I realized look this is a new project this is a new track and try and go your own direction with it here and and maybe um it's just something that I've started started doing um which i I really was i was doing it too much in the past oh i'll just i'll just take that hi-hat again i'll just take that one and go that clap and and put that in there i think Um, a lot
0: of us are very susceptible to that yeah (laughs) i think so yeah so anyway uh i won't keep you too much more today so i wanted to say uh thanks for doing this for me and hopefully somebody got some insight here
2: no problem just in a pleasure and i'll hopefully see you soon okay
0: all right Bye bye
2: all right man take care bye
0: All right, I'm back with uh, kind of another creative resource tip. Um, Another problem that we all have as artists and musicians is creative blocks, a.k.a. writer's block. Uh, One guy had enough of that shit, and his name is Brian Eno, who's kind of a big deal. Uh, In 1974, he released a set of cards called Oblique Strategies. And actually, that original set is ultra-rare these days, so if you're a collector and you come across those, don't sleep on them. Anyway, uh, each of these cards has a strange phrase or remark that's designed to make you think. Some examples include work at a different speed, what to increase, what to decrease, uh, do we need holes, think of the radio, would anybody want it, Make what's perfect more human. You know, so these are all kind of like weird phrases that it's not really designed. It doesn't matter what your answer is. It's designed to change like how you arrive at that point. Um, like, for example, I'm looking at one right now and it says a very small object. It's center. You can perceive that however you want. Maybe that helps you get over the writer's block. Maybe it doesn't. Um, You know. One of these is Ask Your Body. Sure, this sounds cool, but does it really get your ass moving? Uh, I think that's perfect for dance music. Uh, the good news is is there are numerous editions available these days. There's websites that generate a random card for free. There's iPhone apps that'll do it. Um, I have it. It comes in handy sometimes. and uh, It's not always going to solve your problem, but once in a while, it's a perfect fix for when you just can't figure out what the hell to do. The next chat on this episode comes from Ambivalent. He's a guy that's been on the show a couple times now already, one more recently. And uh, in this little segment, we had a little discussion about mixing consoles or mixers and uh, you know, some outboard processing and things like that. Um, granted, I realize that not everybody can afford to get you know a big mixing board or anything so we also go into some cheap uh if not free options for getting the job done on the computer while it won't be the same it's uh definitely a very you know similar result so i hope this is a good one for you all right i'm sitting here with kevin ambivalent uh is he's better known or la foray um on a variety of labels and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his setup and analog summing and things like that. Thanks for coming on. Hey, um, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, for those, you know, tell us about your setup in your studio, or at least as much as you want to discuss about it.
3: Um, I mean, I have a lot of hardware synths and drum machines and stuff, and that's all kind of a, a big part of what I how I craft the sound that I that I'm trying to develop for for either of the aliases that I'm using for or for any project I'm doing but um I think one of the things that people might not notice because it's it's not like jumping out at you know you can hear a 909 and people hear a 909 or a 303 and they know what that is or they hear an analog synth and they can identify that that's you know not just a sample or a cheap mm-hmm. plugin but I've spent a lot of time, and I was talking with somebody about this yesterday I've spent a lot of time trying to find trying to chase tone and like guitarists use that term tone chasing as a way to kind of describe the 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 process of trying to find how a particular circuit whether it's a preamp or a summing circuit or you know some kind of mixer or a distortion effect or a, all those things coming together can affect the overall sound either of one instrument or an entire mix. So I use a lot of analog preamps in addition to analog compressors um, because I find that how you amp something and how you track it matters as much as how you filter it how you eq it all of these things i i i have in the last 5 or 6 years gotten really really into this kind of like preamp obsession so whether it's you know uh, a neve 1073 circuit or a um a Yuri or universal 610 or 710 circuit making these sorts of choices about, um, how those things, or, you know, like some of the manly stuff, how those circuits affect the color of a sound. Um, and that, that's something that you can get into. It can be an expensive hobby and similar to, you know, modular synthesis or something like that. You can get really sucked into it, but I find that that, the, the color of a sound and then, the way that an analog circuit can affect the summing. So some people, you know, s- send their signal out across a board um, and a mixing console, or some people use it through one of these um, static uh, summing amplifiers where, you know, it, it there's something about, and you can back me up on this, I'm sure, there's something about the way that... Um, the space in a mix and I'm not talking necessarily spatially like left, right stereo space, but nece- but more like the amount of headroom and the way that things blend together and the way that each constituent part of a mix finds its place in the mix. Um, I find that, that, that analog summing really gives it that analog summing doesn't create any coloration effect. You don't have any sort of distortion you do get a little bit of glue. Glue is a term that people use in terms about a way of mm-hmm. describing how um, sounds sort of congeal and and smush together, and how they tend to get that sort of cohesion. But also, um, it, there's a there's a, there's an amount of yeah transient headroom, um, sonic definition, frequency separation, stereo field. All those things kind of all influence or all have an impact or have a greater pronounced effect in analog summing. And when you combine that with nicely structured preamps that have um, a really interesting coloring effect, what it tends to do is uh, create uh, a mix that has both more impact, more transparency and um and and a little bit more fullness as well as it's it's weird, but there's a and a lot of people who um who do this can can back me up on this there is both a fullness and a space of available in those things if that makes sense
0: i mean I agree, but then you're almost it's it's tricky because there's like the actual preamp and then there's the mixing console that you're speaking of, you know. And, and
3: well, in, in in a lot of consoles, the preamp is built into the the channel, right? But yeah, then, of course. You, know, you then you can also have external channel strips that have their own thing, and mm-hmm. you you know, so yeah, there's I mean, there's layers.
0: I'm trying to think of a way I can deduce this for somebody that might not. It hasn't had the ability to mess with preamps yet, so to speak. A lot of people just have Ableton. They don't know what the hell we're talking about. So put it this way. Like, let's say you've been around the block and you're a DJ and you've used the Pioneer mixers, which is like the, remember the old silver five or 600, which were standard for a while. Then you got the zone 92. Um, let's say you got three or four channels going on in your little tractor set up and stuff like every, you can, if if you're a DJ, you can tell that the mixer has, uh, each mixer is different. Some have, Different preferences and and we're speaking in terms of like headroom here like there's some things you can push and get out of it that you can't in others and that's the same thing like in Ableton I honestly think the how the headroom is handled is total bullshit I really don't like how uh, and that's meaning like the how the mixing is handled in the in the program between your channels mm. if you have the ability to send it out to a console or something like that. Just like you said, it won't even like add a different color to the sound. Usually, I mean, some do, Um, but you get more headroom out of it. Like for example, I used to have a console that actually Kevin sold to me. I
3: forgot that I sold that to you. Yeah, it was until uh, now.
0: Alan and Heath Zed Mixer, and when I have my hardware running through channels on that, as opposed to directly in Ableton, I have the tracks now, and like they sound definitely there's a different sound to it as opposed to if I would have just recorded the shit into Ableton. Yeah. So, and it's not like it makes the sound quality any better or worse. It's just how it sits in, sits in the mix differently.
3: I think, I mean, I know this may be a little cheesy and maybe a little pedantic, but I often try to use cooking metaphors when I talk about um, engineering issues. Okay. Because... um Because it helps people, because everybody knows how food is, it's it's more tangible, people have experience with it, whereas, yeah, somebody's probably not going to have had a lot of experience working with a $20,000 Neve, you know, Mm -hmm. AMS board or something like that, you know, like there, you you have hands-on experience in the difference between cooking something in an oven and cooking something in a microwave. Sometimes, microwave is the perfect thing because, you know, a microwave gets that like thorough you know, everything's the same temperature and it, you know, it's, it's all even, but you, if you want something with a little crispiness on top, then you put it in an oven. If you want, you know, it's the same as like, I don't know, you know, making a cake and you're, you're blending the batter with a wooden spoon versus with a, you know, with a metal pot. There's, there's all these things that you may have an impact that somebody might notice and somebody else might not notice. And it's, it only matters to the people who notice. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we're talking about. It's like, these are things that, they matter to somebody who wants to have every aspect of their music have just a little 10% more of that it factor. And when you add that up across the board, it then you can, a long really, way. you can really have an impact. But to some people that doesn't matter because they want, and I remember because back in the, you know, in the minimal days, yeah. like having a really clean kick drum that cut through really, yeah, very
2: clinical. really
3: precisely through a system was like, wow, that's dope there's there's all kinds of different perceptions of what's good and what's bad i'm not making value judgments i'm just saying that there are there are aspects to all of these things that are um either desirable to some people or not to others but mm-hmm. but for me the being able to color something through a preamp with using different circuits at different times depending on what the circumstances are and then being able to sum things in an analog uh mixer gives um Gives me the ability to have stuff that has both depth and
0: punch and power but still has dynamics. Definitely. And I guess to add one more analogy to maybe set it in place for those who still don't quite get it, I would say like the perfect example is delay or not delayable, distortion pedals if you're a guitarist or, or you have some as a DJ or distortion plugins. Right. I mean the reason that there's a million of them is because not all of them they're all different and yep. they all have their own quality. Like there's some pedals or plugins where it's like there's literally one or two knobs and that's all you need because it's not trying to be a king of all tr- or a jack of all trades. It's just like, okay, it's going to give it this one characteristic, this one sound. Um, if you smoke cigarettes, then you know that not all cigarettes are the same. If exactly. You drink, if
3: you drink beer, then you know not all not every beer is the same. It's It's the same. It's, it's identical with everyone else. And to some people, a beer is a beer. And to some people, a preamp is a preamp. Or a distortion is a distortion, and to plenty of other people, it's not. But if it matters
0: to you, you will you'll find a lot in that. And eventually, it if you're doing a lot of hardware recording, it should matter. Um, If you, I mean, if you're keeping it all in the box, and actually, this whole conversation is probably pointless to some degree.
3: But they're like not. Let's actually, there there are. I have to say that there are a lot of great plugins that do this. I mean, I, I it doesn't have Can to you be recommend any. For yeah. Those? I mean, I'm a huge fan of the UAD stuff, obviously. Now yeah. there's a price point. There's a, there's it's, a point of entry expensive that's expensive game. to get into, but I have to say that, um, it's just stuff that comes standard with analog or I mean with, sorry, with Ableton, the, um, the glue compressor mm-hmm. is amazing and it's certain and it's got all the math based on the SSL 4,000 bus compressor it sounds great. It will definitely do things in terms of glue and and cohesion to a mix in a really nice way. Also, there are um, there are a couple of distortion plugins in Ableton. I think there's I forget what the well we're, we're recording in Ableton. Oh, you can have a look. all right, so you can have a look. There's one that's like a saturation plugin, saturator. It's the, called the saturator. Is really good and, and yep. it gets better every every new version that they put out
0: overdrive
3: yeah overdrive is also good you can you can experiment with these things and the nice thing about it is that ableton has made it in a way where it's user-friendly enough that you can get into it without having to know much beforehand and the deeper you dig into it the more you'll actually be able to learn so within the saturator you can select a tube circuit you can select different types of circuits in there and as you go through those just start shuttling through things and try things mm-hmm. and see what works and what doesn't, or what 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 you like and what you don't like. Mm-hmm. And you know, then you'll learn about bias and you'll learn about tape bias and tape saturation and you know different types of distortion and saturation, either tape or tube or solid state, and all these things. You can you can find all this stuff without having to go and spend a bunch of money on on an expensive preamp you or, or channel strip. You, you if you have Ableton, you can learn this stuff in there. And when you learn it in there, then you'll understand what
0: we're talking about. Definitely. How's that? That's good, I think. Good. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. In this segment, I talked to Luis Flores about his live set. He's a guy that's known for doing really long live sets, which is uh, not something most people can do. But it's also a technical limitation, too, for a lot of people. So, I asked him about choosing the right gear and what he's using and how he's using it. Um, For those of you who are lucky enough to travel on the road or someday might be able to, you realize real quickly you can't bring the whole studio on the road with you. So, you know, I looked to him for some insight on, you know, what you should bring along, how you can streamline things, and maybe tips and tricks for uh, getting better results in a live set. All right, so here with Luis Flores. Um, as I mentioned on my main podcast, you are known for doing live acts and especially long ones, upwards of four to seven hours. Uh, so, you want to tell us about your your library and kind of the process a little bit for those who are into that world. Um,
4: originally, I when I uh, sold all the gear, like all the analog stuff we collected, uh, the only thing I w- I bought. Afterwards was an eight oh eight because I wanted to mm-hmm. play with that because it had the uh, controls there, but then it quickly became clear that it was going to be a problem because it was an unstable machine, old, etc. So I went with a Vermona that uh, pretty much was a collection of sine wave drums, and then the Silver
0: Rack, the the Mark One,
4: the Mark Two, yeah, which or, is yeah. pretty much the same thing. That
0: which actually that machine, if I'm not mistaken, was kind of like the minus. Drum machine, like when all that stuff was coming around. Uh, actually,
4: uh, I wasn't. I mean, it can do a nine oh nine. Sure, sure. But like I'm just saying that for stuff.
0: people who are a trivia fact. Oh,
4: huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I I remember Luciano playing with one of them at uh, one of the Mutek uh, Mutek festivals. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much it. Uh, um, which kind of provided the whole eight oh eight thing without the um, uh, without being the new footprint yeah. or that yeah. yeah. And uh, being already having MIDI and all that stuff, so I went with that. And uh, I always, uh, because it doesn't have any effects or stuff, I always uh, fed it into live uh, back uh, through the mm-hmm. sound card and then output again. And eventually it became a problem um, because it made the boxes specific size and a specific weight, so that's why I went with the modular stuff, which is pretty much. The reduction and the basic components
0: of uh, what that did. What are you rocking now for modules? Then Uh,
4: I this is super recent. I just started reading about uh, the options, and Mm -hmm. I went with a hex inverter machine, the tip-top hats, the um, this one is completely. This one was me becoming a junkie of the mm-hmm. whole modular I I got the rings from a mutu- mut- mutable know, instruments yeah which I think is genius and funny enough that's digital and um, and then I got a the hot glue mixer from a hex inverter to fit it to like submix it and then mm-hmm. fit it into life
0: yeah because I, I remember when I saw you at Burkheim what was it maybe a month ago now a little oh, yeah. longer yeah One thing that I commented on that I remember is it was really impressive that you have the, um, you know, it's a hardware and software mix, but still a lot of people generally...
4: Think it's hardware.
0: Well, that but um, when people do these hybrid sets, they still run it out to a main mixing board. Uh And for that reason, even though it should be more of a summing path, uh, it doesn't really seem congealed. Whereas yours, since you run it back into Ableton... It sounds Homo-tip, very, yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah um, I mean, I don't know if that's... Well, yeah, I, I guess at the end it all has a color to it because they're using the same filters and same mm-hmm. effects and so on. Um, at the end, I think the, the main situation is that the bass and the kick drum work. Everything's
0: under control yeah. and leveled correctly.
4: Yeah, in a way. And, and that's why I use my own mixer because... Um, Especially, I mean, you've had it when you DJ, then you get there and you only ask for this thing and that thing is not there, you know? And I had that over and over till I got to the point that I only asked for a desk Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's not even there. You know, it's like, oh, well, you can set up where the DJ is and you kind of mention, well, what about when I got a setup? Is he going to stop the music or how how do you want to play this? So sometimes not even that happens. So... Having my own mixer was part of the eliminating the variable. Is that
0: what's in your case also? I can't remember. Yeah,
4: it's a Mackie mixer that I just got a smaller version of it.
0: Is it the Um, Onyx or one of the older ones?
4: mm, uh, The VL. It was the VL. I now got a mix 8 and and the code, the Livid Code uh, controller. Okay. So, yeah, it's pretty much 50. Well, it's sort of 50 50 in a way.
0: Um, So, obviously, since you're. You're using the modules um, for drums and stuff like that, and you got Ableton with sounds. It's definitely not like a one of these live acts where people just play a rendered wave and that's it. Um, so, what what is a what you know? It doesn't matter if it's one hours or four hours. What's a set for you like? Like what's your kind of process? Uh,
4: um, it's really weird because I really don't know what. I'm going to play till I'm there because you don't know what's playing, who's playing before you and who's playing after you and what the time slot means and that plays, etc. So I, I have no idea what I'm going to do pretty much till I see the situation. And, um, and I can. that's why I can play actually so long or short or whatever. Because if, if something starts to go too crazy with too many stuff happening... I can go to that, okay, I'm going to have a rest and you know play this section, and mm-hmm. then I reset everything, and then I keep going. Uh, or just keep it on the improvisation side, depending on the situation.
0: So um, let's say, let's meet in the middle, let's say you're doing a two-and-a-half, three-hour set. Uh, do you, like, do you, some people, they just have this one big Ableton file that's kind of roughly tracks or sections that they can, that is, you know, greatly torn apart so they can reduce it or add. So would you say that you kind of play it more traditionally, like I'm going to play this track into this track, or is it just kind of like this hodgepodge jamming yeah, out sort of it's thing? it's completely...
4: Um, if you see the file, it's like 200 lines long, or scenes. Yeah. Um, and some of it has a lot of parts in all the tracks, or all the mm-hmm. channels. Uh, and some of it has just two, mm-hmm. depending on what Section of that track is actually uh, playable as on its own, and sometimes or usually I grab the groove from one track, then I use the lead from another, then I use the percussion from another, etc., etc. So it's never a linear thing. It's always that's why I keep a mouse because I have to scroll up and down. Sure, and uh, that's why I tried once the Novation control. It was one of the first ones that skipped through the scenes, but. I had to spend a lot of time looking at the screen and at the controller to fi- to figure out which which button re- uh, con- you know corresponded to what clip. Yeah,
0: you know, like I have the push, which is same thing, just I guess more expensive. But um, you know, it's like sure the clip colors can show up and you get an idea or representation, but you still don't really know what you're pressing, and I've yeah. I've fucked it up. So I, I still use the push on my sets, but it's more for like. Uh, Putting sequencer in drum, type. yeah, sequencer stuff or or some basic controlling. But I there's actually an iPad app which I've used. Uh, there's like Touchable and some yeah, others I, where it has the clip names listed. So
4: and um, actually that's why I got the computer I got a few years ago because it has a touch screen. Oh yeah, that's I, that's worth discussing. And I thought this will make my life so much easier. Blah blah blah. But then I realized my finger was too big for the clips. Uh-huh. And live uh, is really geared towards uh, Mac users, so it doesn't touchscreen never comes into the picture and I try to run an interface on top of it and blah 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 but um but yeah, the touchscreen is still uh, a fantasy unless uh, I'm considering now I'm messing around with Bitwig, which actually has that uh tablet function okay yeah and and also, I don't know why... Well, that, that, that'll that eventually prove itself. Uh, at one point, uh, I don't know if it was Jobs or one of them important dudes at, at Apple said that they were not going to go the touchscreen way because they didn't want the gorilla arm thing, or the gorilla, as in the position mm-hmm. was uh, not ergonomic. And yeah. they completely discarded the touchscreen. But now it's the the new touchscreens are as big or as thick as Oh, the yeah, iPad, like the, so the... yeah yeah. Why wouldn't want you want to have that processing power with a touch of uh, touch? Well,
0: the, the thing about Apple is you have to realize like that was still the Steve Jobs era, and the original iPhone was as small as it was at the time because Steve Jobs had this uh, idea. You can't see it because this is a recording, but like you move your thumb up and down or back and forth, and mm-hmm. you can own, your thumb can span the whole size of the screen, and that's all you should need. Right. And that's why they stuck with it forever. And then as soon as he died, we got. 18 different sizes of iPhones now and it was necessary because everybody else was going bigger and, and humans mean, like bigger is better you and know?
4: granted back then also the computers the touchscreen computers were this big screen oh, yeah. and up being pointing at something and moving it is not the most comfortable uh, thing but yeah I mean the now it's there's no difference between the iPad and like computers that actually have uh, full CPU
0: big time I mean I, I think with the it, it's coming closer and closer now. They have that big iPad, which is I don't know how big, but there's there's one that's uh, I want to say like 13 inches or 11 inches. I mean, it's yeah, massive. That's
4: bigger than my computer, actually. Yeah,
0: and it, it you know at some point there's going to be this fusion of the iMac and the yeah, touch screen or whatever. Of, of course. Um, obviously, the architecture is different for the chips, but that's that's a nerdy IT yeah, thing that's sure. uh, not going to happen on this discussion. So. Yeah, I guess. Thanks for stopping in and telling us about your live rig.
4: No, nope, thank you again for having me.
0: Oh, oh yeah. I got one more thing that I want to know about. You, you were telling me that you built a uh, reactor um, ensemble or something.
4: It's, it's more like I repurposed one that I used to love ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Or I think it's ten years ago. Sadly, so as in how long? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it kind of destroyed the drums in a very particular way, and. Solved a lot of problems with this battle. Most people that uh, do techno or house, whatever mm-hmm. it is, that is matching the kick to the bass uh, tone wise and frequency, uh, like tone yeah. and frequency wise. Um, and this kind of does granular synthesis and whatever other thing. Mm-hmm. And it makes everything easier. So I uh, rediscovered it a few years ago and then I made my own version of it that kind of just. Mm-hmm. Um, It's just made to um, to work quicker in the studio, to to at least not have to suffer over the drums, which sometimes could take forever back in one day. Definitely, and tuning it and the time stretch algorithms and most uh, software is the uh, and the most uh, like live stuff is not that good. Yeah, I mean that level, and and this thing, even if it distorts, it does so in a in a very peculiar characteristic way. way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you ever see yourself maybe hosting that for free or is that kind of a secret weapon? Or? No,
4: I mean, not at all. I mean, I just, uh, I used it myself and I just, when I gave it to Mo or I gave mm-hmm. it to like friends, yeah. just, but I, I wouldn't dare even calling it, I did it because it is just... Uh,
0: kind of a modern yeah, update uh, or, or
4: something. Yeah, grabbing parts from stuff that I like and making it work. Um, but most of it was, for some reason... Even though I've been using Reactor for years, uh, when I moved here, it just, but one day it snapped and it made sense. So I, I was able to, to to do so. And it was pretty much because the drums didn't have any velocity. So it was all the same volume. And that kind of bugged me in an obsessive way. So I reverse engineered that thing until I found why. And then I just did different modules and so on. And, and well, I'll just send it to you and you tell me what you think.
0: Awesome. All right. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thank you. Paul Birkin joins me on this next segment. Um, when I recorded the podcast with him, I think it was last summer, out at his house, uh, he gave me a little tour of his studio and kind of, you know, what what he uses things for, and he explained how he kind of likes to keep it evolving. Um, he'll use an instrument for a while, and then kind of sell it to pick up something else so actually now that i think about it what you're hearing is probably far outdated and he's got a few new things in the in the studio by now but you'll get some ideas from it okay i'm sitting here with paul burkin in his studio hello hey so um you got a nice impressive selection of gear here uh before we go forward I'm just looking. We'll describe a couple things. You got the the dark trinity of the electron stuff.
5: Yeah, hang on. I'm gonna come around the other side of the table so I can see what you're looking at here.
0: Yeah, good idea. Grab a chair right there. So to the left, we got kind of the dark trinity: the 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 uh, octatrack, the rhythm, the analog four. Yeah.
5: Um, there's a few other machines stacked underneath over there. The old Roland R70. TR8, and then under that is the Rack uh, Alesis DM Pro. It's
0: good, good, versatile drum box. Nice shelf of pedals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, some Rackmon stuff. I see that you got the new Coma Electronics sequencer that looks That's kind of a like a powerhouse. Box. Yeah, well, I had that
5: Frostwave sequencer, um, that fat controller, which had two rows of eight, and that would do MIDI or CV gate, and I had gotten rid of that and then was missing it. Um, just because I like the immediacy of, of working on that. And this unit came out and um I thought, well, I'll give that a go. And it's it's so far beyond what the Frostwave one could do. Uh it's it's been cool. It's a good good mix of versatility with the Eurorack stuff and all the MIDI gear that you
0: can fire off it. So it's definitely like a centerpiece sort of uh yeah, for you just studio. jam
5: on it. And, uh, you know, the Nord is sitting right above it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can run multiple channels in the Nord. Um, that works out great. The Evolver does all sorts of fun stuff. The Evolver is
0: a classic little box. You know, a lot of people are kind of, they want to get into modular, but that, it's kind of a pricey game right now. And a lot of guys are like, what should I buy next? And uh, the Korg Mini Log came out, and that's kind of a, in the, the boutique stuff. Those are decent price points for things, but. I gotta say if you can score a evolver desktop. Evolver is the machine. Yeah. That's the that
5: box will do um it does step sequencing with gate inputs. You can turn it to an audio mode where you send it a pulse to the input and it'll really? step just like regular analog one looking for a click coming in.
0: Nice. I didn't even know that. Well I, I have the uh the mono evolver, the keyboard edition. Um but the desktop one is actually the same thing, just obviously without um the keyboard and some of the knobs sounds the same and acts the same um so pick that up if you're kind of looking for something and then you got a really nice modular couple modular racks set off to the side here some verbo stuff uh yeah there's there's a big
5: mix of stuff in there right now um i got these new cases from submodular and uh chris thomas runs those and
0: yeah i met him uh, well I, I know guy. him but saw him last week yeah he when
5: I was out in Los Angeles the other year he was playing as well and he had a, a kind of a prototype and it was just a really nicely designed case that looked easy to travel with mm-hmm. and uh so i've I've been happy to get some of those to use and and they work great um i'm mm-hmm. pretty happy people should people should track those down if they can
0: and they they uh you know his his company I don't know if it's out yet or if it's coming out but they kind of got a new one that's coming. I know a Surgeon's been road testing it. It's a little bit more sturdy. Yeah, um, the
5: second one I've gotten back has that coating on it. It's like the truck bed yeah. stuff
0: they spray on it. So, mm-hmm. definitely definitely handy and uh you know, good if you're the kind of person that's traveling a lot with your modular gear. But let's let's talk more about the process we went through a little bit of the the machines that you have. But one thing that I've always found interesting as I come over is you get really creative with how you plug things in. And, you know, you know, today, like you you got the Volca FM that's brand new. You're talking about running it at what, 600 beats per minute or something?
5: Yeah. The the default mode it comes in only goes up to 300, but in the manual, I saw there was a little setting on there and you can, when you power up, hold the function button down and then put it to a, a full tempo range. So it goes to 600 and, uh, Get it running at that speed,
0: and yeah, fun. that's that's the thing though, like you know 'cause a lot of people they just say, right, I'm making techno, so one hundred and twenty eight beats per minute or whatever, and they just set it, and then hit the notes i mean i I do that i'm i I'm kind of a bit more civil about things, but you're like, let's just mash it up <laughs> and see what we can get out of it, and uh you know then you get these little i mean maybe it's just a little sample that you chop up in the end, but you just end up finding kind of, if, if you're
5: just listening and just kind of seeing what happens and trying to just, this may not make sense while you're doing it, but if you're just listening, you'll find things that kind of pop out and you'll go, okay, that that would work. And you can hear a beat against it in your head, you know, maybe running quarter time against it or, or some way to make it work. But um, there's a lot of stuff that you just when i'm in the studio working i'm i'm not paying any attention to the bpm that i'm setting it's just turning and listening to the
0: pieces and then are you chopping that up later and then using those pieces in a more like on a normal i don't want to say time scale but like a like a 4/4 four, four beat or something like that or yeah i'll go through it later and then listen and say does this
5: make sense in the context of i'm going to make this kind of track can can I use this, you know, by throwing it back in the octatrack then after I've cut it or um, put it somewhere else, you know, find those pieces, cut the rest off and um, go from there.
0: I Actually, I just thought of something. I got one question for you. Even to this day, like I hear some of your records and the low end on some of these kicks is just thunderous. It's like Powerful as hell, but yeah, you, you know, you, you do have some rack-mounted gear here, but it's not like you're overly processing the hell out of it with like some four thousand dollar machine or compressor no, or something. But I, like, how do you slam it so hard that it just has this? Intense...
5: Honestly, I'm I'm crediting all that to whoever's mastering the stuff. I'm just trying to leave them headroom. I mean, I I don't crank the stuff. I don't run it through anything. I'm just recording raw. Um, audio and just really just try to leave room there so whoever gets it to master it has some room on their high-end nice. stuff um to put some sparkle onto it because i don't you know that's that's not my ear that's scott radke and all those other guys, guys that's a who science have in put, yeah have put the time in to that piece of the audio
0: uh art mm-hmm and let's see another thing that I've noticed in here as we kind of look at the studio that you have uh you do have some older vintage pieces of gear, but it doesn't seem like you're one of these guys that's you know have has this um romanticized view where like you gotta have the nine o nine and the whatever is kind of like focal points um the two o two is
5: sitting over there, sure with all the patch points in it still it's kind of the old the mm-hmm old. But I mean, Some like classic piece, but a lot of it is just what do I have access to? Um, you know, the, how many pieces would I have to sell if I wanted to get one of those other pieces? I mean, the, the modular stuff, you know, combined, it's a big investment. Oh, yeah. But over time, you know, that's probably been since 2008
0: mm-hmm.
5: since I started working. Because I had the Bug brand stuff that oh, yeah. Tom Bugs had created and started with that and then got a few Euro rack pieces. So, um, it's, it's a long, a long time of using and trading off pieces, um, kind of finding what works and, and building something like that up. But the other machines, um, you know, I, I, I plan them. They, they sound awesome, but I don't feel part of me would just be worried. I'd end up busting it cause I'm, I'm pretty hard on my Equipment. Gear, yeah. I mean, the the TR8 works great, and if it falls off the table, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, pass out. Four hundred
0: bucks is it's a lot of money, but it's in the scheme of things, it's you know, I wouldn't say disposable, but if it like you said, if it falls off the table, it's not the it's not going to cost a month's rent.
5: <laughs> right, and, and a lot of my stuff, you know, I'm just running it through things and as good as the original sound if i'm running them through just some other garbage stuff it's not going <laughs> to yeah <laughs> to my ear it's not going to you know make a difference in there that would justify tracking it down
0: nice before we go um looking at the stuff the computer excluded uh is there like one piece of gear that i don't want to say the desert island scenario or the fire but just something that like you will always find yourself going back to that uh...
5: probably at this point, the Octatrack just because it's so versatile. I mean, I use it for effects processing and MIDI sequencing, you know, obviously the sample stuff and it's great um, by just doing long chains and being able to do all the step locks. And it's, it's a box that coming from, you know, so long ago when, with all the samplers i had i would record through effects to dat and then record that back in resampling and have to cut that and then just building that stuff up having a box like that um, just to work so quickly and is is pretty cool and no more scuzzy drives and all that garbage yeah i'm happy with the compact flash and
0: cut it and go yeah i, I just found well, i didn't find a f- um, Justin Rooney actually he had uh, Weapon Deception that's right he had my um, I don't remember which one I had the, both the Yamaha AA4000 and 5000 but he had one of those samplers and those uh, had great effects in them they did and uh, that was another one of those where he had to have a SCSI drive and everything to load up stuff And man I'll give you a quick quick
5: funny gear horror story uh, going down to play drop bass New Year's party. This was '98, and uh, MPC 2000 with uh, external zip drive and mm-hmm. all that. And halfway down there, racing down, and suddenly realized I forgot the disc.
0: <laughs> yeah. So well, I'll tell you what. Not uh, that's. I mean, zip disks are a thing of the past, but stories like that are not either. You know, I'm I'm using USB sticks to DJ with now, and uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say that. There was a couple times in the past years that I got to the venue and realized the sticks are still in the hotel room. <laughs> so it's like, shit, we need to turn around quick if I'm going to get back on in time, or even 10 minutes late, you know? and I feel like such an idiot, but... I try to keep it pro. I can't do it all the time. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks. Well, there you have it. We got about five guests that came on the show today and shared their tips and tricks and all that kind of shit with what goes to their mind during a normal day in the studio. I hope you found it kind of useful, um, putting this show together was uh, a little bit more work than I anticipated, you know, I had to track down all the old files and, and copy and paste it and all the usual stuff that comes with it, so it, it takes a good part of the day to do it, so if you like it, let me know, and maybe we'll do more in the future, and if not, no skin off my back. Uh, before I roll out, though, I'll give a few tips and tricks myself, well, not a few, probably just like one. Um... What I wanted to talk about quickly is what drives me crazy with demos that I get. And usually what I have the biggest problem with personally ends up being the bass section. And in dance music, bass is the most important aspect there is, period. Yeah, I guess the most common thing that I notice is that the bass doesn't ever really seem to to hit right with a lot of these demos um the way i see it let's just talk in terms of techno right now is you have two different types or two different ways you're going to be able to do this right now what's been popular for a couple years and what i did a lot on my monoliths album is you have these like big boomy stomping kick drums that are larger than life and you know those are really cool but uh they don't they they take up so much space that you can't really add much to it so the idea of like having a really groovy bass line in between these beats it's going to be really difficult if not impossible because there's just not enough space um and in my opinion those kind of kicks seem to work a lot better in slower bpm's like anything from you know the anything in the 120 range basically after 128 129 that's starting to push it once you get above 130 BPM, you know, up to 140, the faster you go, I would personally pull down the decay on the kicks and make it less boomy and, and larger than life. And uh, that's when the low end starts to get a little bit more rolling and chugging. A lot of 90s records do that. Um, if you go out and see DJs like Ben Clock or Devious One, you know, this is kind of the stuff that they're going for. You're going to have these like really. You know, actually, the bass section is very simple. It's not so thick, and it's it's more about the percussions and the other sounds that are going on. Um, and also, going back to the section of the 120s, when you start talking about more of the big room techno, like drum code and stuff like that, those kick drums are uh, they're loud and super punchy, but there's not a ton of decay sometimes either, which allows you to actually put more of a uh, groovier or like subby bass line under it. Um, so that's kind of a little hint or a tip and trick on how to, you know, make bass lines work depending on what you're going for. Um, the other part of it is, is that if you have, whether you're using a sub bass or just like a bass line from a synth or hell, even like a bass guitar, you can't really double up by putting the bass on the kick drum at the same time. It can be done, but What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to notch out uh, some of that kick drum, uh, the lower frequencies with an EQ, because otherwise you're basically putting bass on top of bass. And what's going to happen is it's going to sound like shit, like a fart or something. And if it doesn't, it's actually going to um, take up too much energy of the track and lower... It could potentially lower the volume for the rest of the track, Uh, which is also why I said earlier that uh, I don't really like when kick drums are pitched down real low because it's I don't want to say I don't want to say that it's like cheating to get those lower thumpy kick drums, but it gives you the per you know, you perceive that it's happening, but actually it's not. It just makes the track uh quieter in the end. So that's something I don't recommend. I don't know how clear or eloquent that was, but hopefully I pulled that one off and it works out for you. Um yeah, I I don't know what else to tell you. I mean We can do 20 of these podcasts and it wouldn't really matter because what you got to do is just practice every day and honestly, as much as it sucks to hear, you got to watch these YouTube tutorials and stuff. There's a wealth of information out there and I realize how terrible it is, you know, these videos. uh, A 10-minute video is just like hell on earth. You know, these announcers can be often annoying as shit, much like myself, and they they make god awful music or something or whatever. And it's just like, you got to power through it. This stuff is really useful. I wish that I had this stuff when I had started out 20 years ago. I really believe that you can pick up like 10 years of what it took me to learn in like the course of a year now, if you really just do the homework. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I I hope you learned something here. Uh, Just keep your head down and keep making shit. Have a good one.